0: Hello, fitness friends, anxiety warriors, mental health champions, brothers and sisters in recovery. Welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional, not a doctor, not a counselor. What I am is a guy with 1,001 days of sobriety and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I'm joined for this episode by Elaine Sefton, better known as the real English Elaine. Elaine is a two-time suicide survivor. She's an author, she's a mental health advocate, and she is an absolute rock star. I'm so grateful that she joined me and I'm grateful that all of you are here along with us because I'm looking out the window and it's a great day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. Okay, so there's a lot of things that I love about Elaine's story. And the one that really sits at the front of my mind was that Elaine spent more than 30 years in corporate America. She had a lot of success. She was really good at her job. And, you know, she felt stuck. Where did all that success get her? Where did all the stress get her? All the pressure, you know, to the point where she tried to take her life twice, not once, but twice. And I can relate in that. You know, I continued to take promotions in the newspaper industry, and I got to a place where I felt like I was stuck in a job that was absolutely crushing me. It's a big reason why I became an alcoholic, why my alcoholism got so bad so fast, and I felt stuck. You know, I'd spent so much time working to get where I was. I was the primary breadwinner in our family. Like, that was one of the ways that I defined myself. I was a newspaper man. I was a journalist, and that was all there was for me. Well, <laughs> one thousand one days, right? I mean, I went from feeling so very stuck to now being more than a thousand days sober and really living my best life, working as a freelance writer, being here and chatting with you guys. And you know, it's similar to Elaine. It, it's it. It could not have been easy for her to leave a cushy job where she made a lot of money. We've romanticized the idea of working hard, of working harder than others. We've turned burnout into a badge of honor, right? But she owed it to herself and we all owe it to ourselves to not subject ourselves to toxic situations. Now, part of the reason why I stuck around in my job was that So many times in my life, I would think about bailing on a project, on a job, on a relationship or something, but I perceived it as weakness that I couldn't just push through it, that I couldn't just find a way to make it work, that I couldn't just withstand the difficulties. And again, look where that gets us by not honoring ourselves, right? So that's why I'm grateful to Elaine. You know, she talks about breaking up the stigma surrounding mental health and recovery. You know, she talks about, I find it very interesting that she refers to it as brain health rather than mental health. That's a very interesting uh, choice of words because as she said, you know, you think brainy and you think of somebody who's smart. So saying a brain issue might get rid of some of that stigma. But, But she's also chipping away at this long ingrained idea that we can't quit that we have to press through it even when a situation is bad for us. Now, mind you, I don't want to be held liable for folks basically saying, okay, this is a little bit hard and I'm going to quit my job. I'm not saying that everybody should bail the moment that things get difficult. But if you're in a situation where it is abundantly clear that something isn't serving you and that it is hurting you, you know, we got to take a moment, step back, evaluate it, and have an honest assessment of what's best for us. Sometimes that means playing the long game. Sometimes that means, you know, taking a lump here or there and betting on ourselves and betting on what we're capable of and making a change. Now, one of the reasons why I was able to quit my job and and achieve this amazing life, it wasn't just a matter of leaving my job. I had to go through rehab to get on the straight and narrow. And I did that at Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right, gang, you ready to hear from the real English Elaine? She's going to make you laugh. She's going to make you cry. Yeah, she's going to teach you some stuff. This is my conversation with my dear friend, Elaine Sefton.
1: There we are. Hey! (laughs) How are you?
0: (sighs) I'm fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Are you catching your breath before we dive in here or what? I am. So how was your morning? T- tell me about this. As a uh, as a father of eight-year-olds, I am so heartened by what you're doing with high schoolers mm. and, and educating students on becoming mental health ambassadors.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, actually, with an eight-year-old, I, I am a firm believer that we need to be working in middle school, mm-hmm. sadly, probably elementary, depending on where the school is. So I, um, I call myself a brain health warrior and a mental health crusader.
0: Okay, I and like the that.
1: Reason, <laughs> the reason why I do that is it's all about changing the conversation and ending the stigma. So, you know, if you say the word somebody's mental, it's kind of like they're crazy, they're OCD, they're bipolar, they're psycho. And then if you say somebody is brainy, That means they're smart and they're clever and they're competent Yep. and they're like the brain, I'm pausing because it just fascinates me how we haven't, like why we're not talking this way, right? So the brain is the most important organ in the body because it's the organ that actually sends the signals out to your heart and everything else to function. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't do any work on the brain. I mean, we focus on, you have heart surgeons and lung and kidney and, but we don't have too many brain surgeons. And when I say brain surgeons, like psychiatrists and doctors who understand the connection between the brain and the body. And so I recently got certified and licensed as a brain health warrior and i am currently going through training that is called thrive to 25 mm-hmm. and so it's for teenagers and youth and basically so for your eight-year-old it's you know your brain doesn't actually fully develop until 25.
0: right right that's
1: actually why insurance rates go down at 25. <laughs>
0: hmm
1: which I never made that connection before. And so, um, and the last part of your brain to develop is the prefrontal cortex, which is the CEO of your brain, the part of your brain that makes decisions. So if you know that, it makes sense that teenagers are messed up and they're making the wrong decisions because they're not actually able to process decision making like your eight-year-old still needs you to help you are the ceo of that (laughs) eight-year-old's brain right (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so you're helping to guide them so imagine if imagine a world where parents and children all knew that i mean it would be very different right so yeah i'm just on a mission to bring that message and then the work that i'm doing in the high schools i'm part of a coalition um in lake county where i i live and lake county in florida that is
0: so how does it work uh, is it an assembly where it's optional for kids to attend how is it set up
1: uh no actually it is for students Uh, who are chosen by the teachers and by former students who've been through the program. And Mm -hmm. so basically what they do is they come to a recruitment session where they learn about the program and the program is a five week program. It's called you're not alone. And it's intended to help teens spot the signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. So what it means for them and also what it means for their peers because more often than not, a, a youth will talk to a youth, and says, so "Okay, let's like equip you with the with the skills." And then what um, we do is also help them identify a trusted adult that they can go to, or they can um, point a peer to, um, because the mental health statistics around youth is horrifying. I mean, if I I just created this flyer recently, and it's like in the US, youth between the ages of 10 to 24, 10%, which is approximately two and a half million, cope with severe major depression. And within that age category, suicide rates are age 10 to 14, 190,000, and age 15 to 24, just over 2 million.
0: And these are, I mean, when we talk about youngsters who are dealing when, with mental health issues, these are just the ones that we're identifying.
1: Correct. Yeah. You know that those numbers are underreported. <laughs> yeah. You know that there's a lot more out there.
0: I think the good news is that it's being reported more, but but we have I such agree. a such a long way to go. What I love about what you're doing in this program is that when you go in there, you you have folks coming in, youngsters coming in who want to do this, who want to learn mental health first aid. So they're, they're doing, they're doing the, here I am, send me, send me. So that's, that's exactly
1: Yes. Yeah. They're raising their hands to say, I want to be a student ambassador. So the program is called, you're not alone. And it's, Hey, I want to be a student ambassador who my peers can know that I am a student ambassador and they hopefully will approach me if they have something that they would like to talk about. And also, the once we've done the five-week program, then they have a call to action. So it's basically, OK, so what are we going to do You know, in the school? How are we going to make this real? And so you'll find that schools will have all kinds of events that the student ambassadors host to make themselves um Become more familiar in the school system, and then obviously outside of the school as well.
0: Of course, I mean that's that's the families and
1: friends. That's Mm -hmm. the
0: ultimate intention is to go beyond the school walls, so they bring that out out into their life everywhere that they go.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: So that they can see something, say something, and help connect people. Now, on the topic of mental health, when I went through treatment. It was so relieving to find out that if I dealt with my mental health issues, that it would give me a puncher's chance against addiction. So I want to talk about a partner of the podcast that can help out both in the areas of addiction and mental health. It's DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is, to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out duisycamore.com, or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit duisycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. Now, I'm going to ask that you know we can sh- kind of shift gears a little bit and get into your personal story. Sure. So you put out a book, Your, uh, your, your Crazy Summer.
1: My Crazy Summer, yes.
0: <laughs> that was summer of
1: 2014? Correct. The summer of 2014, when I attempted first suicide
0: help catch us up, you know, the, the concept that, that I'm really, really interested in, obviously, you know, the timeline we're going to get into, but this, this idea of faith versus medication. Now I I grew up in a conservative household, so I have some conception of this, but that's a real barrier for a lot of people to getting help and to the willingness to take medication.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. So as a Christian, I I did not, I mean, I, I can't say actually as a Christian, I didn't want to take medication. But I was always wary of medication. And so mm-hmm. when I had this summer of feeling like I'm in the pit of hell, and the only way out is to kill myself, um, which is the worst feeling that anybody could ever feel like there's no hope. I was going to go and see a psychiatrist and I had women, loving women from the church who like took me out for coffee and got the Bible out and told me, you know, I didn't have enough faith and I needed to pray more and I didn't need to see a psychiatrist, which is part of the stigma. Right. And so, and these very same women are taking diabetes medication and they're (laughs) taking high blood pressure medication. So it's kind of like, uh, You're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Why
1: is it okay for you and not for me? Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is in control of everything. And my belief, I mean, I know that people who listen to podcasts have very, can have differing beliefs and, you know, each to their own. Doctors are given the skill, in my opinion, doctors are given the skills and talents to help people. So I actually broke my arm in 2011 when Hurricane Irma was here in Florida. And the first thing that I did was actually run to the ER to get my arm fixed. Mm-hmm. And yet the statistics will tell us that it will take somebody like between 10 and 11 years to seek help once they have like got the onset of a mental condition. Right. and. When- And I also think that when you say mental condition, it kind of conjures up all kinds of craziness, right? And so that's why I'm on a mission to change the conversation. So let's not talk about a mental condition. Let's talk about a brain condition. I remember my psychologist at the time, she was, like, she's faith-based. And she was trying to tell me, Elaine, you need to go and see a psychiatrist. And I literally was having like fights with her in her office and standing up and screaming and saying, no, I just need more faith. And she's like, Elaine, you've got a broken head. (laughs) Like you would go to see a doctor with a broken bone, you have a broken head. Mm -hmm. And the more now that I am researching and reading, it's just, I mean, the connection between the mind, body, soul, and how we... I mean, we are one body, right? Um, And I think part of the challenge that we have is in the way past, doctors used to focus on everything. And now we have specialists. So I might have like a, a knee pain, but that knee pain might be as a result of something somewhere else in my body. But we tend to just like focus on one area. And so we need to take a step back and look at the whole person.
0: Well, you, you said it before that, that that pain that you're experiencing in a body part, the reason why it hurts is because it is your brain that is sending the information <laughs> saying exactly. that well, something is wrong there. So there's there's no disconnecting the two. It, it's all wired together.
1: Yeah. I mean, the last time I looked, my head is still connected to my body. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. why is right. it that we have to like treat below our neck? differently than above our neck when actually my brain and my stomach and the rest of my body is all connected by my nervous system.
0: Oh, so. yeah. I mean, we talk about the evidence that's piling up about gut health. Oh, my
1: goodness. Yes. I'm huge into that.
0: <laughs> and, and, and dental health and you name it. It's oh, it all impacts brain health.
1: It does. So I don't know if you've seen my post yesterday on Facebook, I just came out of the dentist after doing a sleep study. And my teeth aren't the best teeth. I mean, I come from England, and in England, we don't take the same care of our teeth oh, as we you do in say, America. <laughs> so... I was going to say,
0: being from Liverpool, <laughs> they look extraordinary.
1: <laughs> I know, right? And so so we just – and my dentist is big into the importance of sleep because sleep is actually probably the number one factor when it comes to brain health, mental health, physical health. And if you don't get enough sleep, it just – I mean, a 14 to 17-year-old is supposed to have 8 to 10 hours sleep. How mm-hmm. many teenagers do you know? D- did you? <laughs> no. So, as I, I, I mean, I took this. So, I had this ring, which I thought was going to be an aura ring, because, you know, aura rings are all the rage. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was a special ring. And I, I switched it on when I thought I was going to sleep and switched it off when I woke up. And I did that for five days. And, it like, obviously, all the data was downloaded. And so I saw him yesterday. And what I learned is I do have sleep apnea, which I've never been diagnosed with. And I did learn that I actually stopped breathing for several seconds every hour, which is not healthy because it means wow. my brain's not getting oxygen because your, yeah. ox- your brain gets cleaned while you're sleeping. So I'm now working with him to get some kind of contraption. I don't know what it is. He just did all like the test yesterday. Well, basically, I'm not wearing braces, but I'm wearing whatever the thing is. I don't even know what it looks like here. (laughs) That will shift my jaw and my teeth. And so what it does is it actually opens up my airways. Okay. So I'm able to get quality sleep. So even if I am sleeping for six hours, it's going to be quality sleep because of the... So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how, you know, even to that point of, Chris, of, like, dentists and doctors are disconnected I I went to a TEDx talk once in Eustace um, Florida and there was a dentist speaking and he says yeah he's like it's amazing how doctors are really focused on getting a colonoscopy and looking at the, st- the way stuff comes out <laughs> but it's really important the way stuff goes in and how we keep our teeth healthy and our gums healthy it's fast. I, I, as you can as you can tell, I'm fascinated, and I have a huge passion around it.
0: I'm so, I'm riveted. I'm
1: absolutely yeah.
0: riveted. I, I love it. I love it. I know. So
1: my dentist told me, you know, it's going to be really expensive, and I was like, well, will you sponsor me?" I said, "Because I don't know if I can afford it." <laughs> what
0: can I do for you? <laughs> you
1: know, I, I will help I bring help this you, into Dr. the world. <laughs> so,
0: I will be a spokesperson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll be
1: your spokesperson. Yeah, because it's amazing. I mean, we just, dental, oral hygiene is just, you don't realize how important it is. And I feel like I I am now at an age where I really don't care too much about my the way my teeth look uh-huh. cosmetically. Uh-huh. However, I do care about my mouth and my dental hygiene and care so that I can do as much as I'm able to, to live as long as I can so that I can share the message.
0: And as happily as you can. <laughs>
1: exactly with quality yes. sleep yes so
0: you know i i had read on your website which folks mm-hmm. should visit and i will link to it the elaine.com and actually you know here before we dive in this this is what we do here is it's like we're gonna get to this we're gonna get to this i have to ask the real english elaine your uh your your <laughs> moniker your your brand mm-hmm. are there fake english elaines running around out there. How how did you land? Because
1: that's funny. I was a fake English
0: Elaine (laughs) at one stage. (laughs) I thought that was where this was going. And as a a huge fan of the who, every time I read the real English Elaine, I, (laughs) I get the real me stuck in my head. And I was like, I bet that's what this is, is that you're authentic now. Was I onto something?
1: You are absolutely on. Yeah. Spot on. So yes, the who did a great job in putting that song in your mind. Oh, it's yes, so, it's
0: so good yeah. though. Quadrophenia is a top five album of all time, <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about.
1: No, but the real English Elaine is the fact that I am from England. So, you know, I've lived in America now for 20 odd years. So came over in 1998 with supposedly on a three year contract and <laughs> still here with my family. So, you know, Americans and anybody else actually are like, oh, you have the cutest accent. Where's that from? South Africa? <laughs> <laughs> Ireland? <laughs> and it's like, no, England. <laughs> I am, first of all, English Elaine, so that people people can actually then listen to what I'm saying rather than thinking about where is she from. Right. So it's like, okay, I'm the real English Elaine. I'm real because I was not I was fake. English Elaine for many years. I, you know, would be working in corporate America and I'd have my mask on in terms not a mask like the pandemic, but <laughs> my like emotional mask that I was pretending to be somebody who I wasn't and you know, because I thought that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, and I work for PricewaterhouseCoopers It's like the top consulting firm in the world. And oh my goodness how did I get here type of thing. And so, um, yeah, and so it took me a long time, even though I knew everything about, you know, who I am and whose I am, it took a long time for it really to become real. And so now, you know, I am real. And I what you see is what you get. And I am also respectful. So it's not like I'm going to be, you know, I, I know quite a few personalities who I question <laughs> what they're being just them right so that's mm. who they are and so but I want to still be re- respectful but be who I am I love and it. you know I now know that everybody can't like me and that's okay and if you don't like me then that's your problem not <laughs> mine <laughs> that's
0: a you problem oh, I like you <laughs> it's okay (laughs) now let's let's talk about the you though that that i might not have liked as much and this is like Mm. my my awkward transition into summer of 2014 and what you're Mm. going through because as i was going to mention before uh you know on your website you know you you reference i totally lost track of where i where i was (laughs) oh i got it (laughs) you you mentioned that When it comes to mental health advocacy and the work that we're doing, Mm -hmm. it would be wonderful if you and I had a PhD. I could see how that would be helpful, but you have the lived experience.
1: Exactly.
0: So let's talk about it. Let's go back to 2014. Walk me through it.
1: Yeah. So you're right. I mean, you and I could have a PhD, right? And there are many PhDs that don't have lived experience, so they Mm -hmm. don't fully understand. So I actually call myself an EBE, not an OBE, but an EBE, an expert by experienced. And so in the summer of 2014, I... um, I was basically, I got ahead of myself and you could say I got ahead of God in terms of what I wanted to do. And so I was in a role where I loved it. It was like using my gifts. I was part of a faculty at PwC and meant I went to Chicago every two weeks and part of the orientation training for experienced hires, just like me. And I could really empathize with them, especially if they didn't come from a consulting background, because I knew what it was like. I knew the pressures. I knew what it was like to feel fake. And, you know, the phrase fake it till you make it, I absolutely hate. Mm, um, yeah. It's like, act as though you're already there, like something that mm. might be better. <laughs> but um, yeah. And so I, I basically got bored, though. I got bored of, I was like, oh, And I decided I wanted to go back into client service. I don't know why I wanted to torture myself, but I did. (laughs) And so I was kind of playing all the chess pieces in my life, which I'm sure many listeners do. You know, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this, then that's going to happen and that's going to happen and it's going to happen. And we know it never works out that way, but we think it will. And, And so I went back to client service earlier than planned. And I was only in client service a month where I then stressed out. I can't do this anymore. I was on my performance-based acceptance of, oh my goodness, like what if, it's like the whole imposter syndrome. It's like, oh my goodness, what if like people find out I'm not who I am, (laughs) which is crazy in and of itself. So anyways, I basically called, I came home, my husband picked me up from the airport one Thursday night like a good management consultant's spouse would do. And I got in the car and said, I'm quitting. I can't do this anymore. I just spent the week in a hotel in the evenings, just walking around the hotel room, pulling my hair out. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't. And my husband, like my rock, he's like, no, it's going to be okay. I was like, I'm going to send an email. And he's like, please don't. (laughs) So I woke up at six o'clock in the morning and called my partner from PwC and Basically said, "Hey, good morning, John." <laughs> and I said, "This is the hardest call of my life. I'm going to have to quit." And thankfully, he stayed on the phone with me for two hours. He talked me off the ledge. He's like, Elaine this is not like you. You need to break." Mm-hmm. And he was really good. He was and he was supportive. And then I had other people call me that day and said, "You know, it's okay. You you feel like you want to quit, but you really don't." And you need to take some time. So I agreed to take time. I agreed to take five to six weeks off work, mm-hmm. <laughs> which then ended up several months. And so the thing with uh, depression is, I mean, it's okay not to feel okay, right? We all feel sad. We all feel blue. It's just when that starts to impact your life, that's when you need to like raise the red flags and go and do something about it. Right. So my quality of life totally went down. I isolated myself. I didn't want to see anyone. I only saw my husband and one friend that I let into my life. Um, I did go to see my doctor. I went to see a psychiatrist. I didn't take any of the medication from the psychiatrist for a few weeks because every time he prescribed something, I would go to the internet and check it out.
0: <laughs> and oh, think, yeah. I can't take
1: that. <laughs> so.
0: Was it side effects that you were seeing that that, that concerned you? or side
1: effects, and I thought that I would become addicted to them.
0: Okay, sure, yeah.
1: And so I would literally just, my husband would go to work, and I'd literally lay on the sofa all day. No music, no sound, no noise, just the sound of the clock at the top of the hour. Um, I lost probably about 30 pounds in weight, I mean, my husband was good. He got me, when we got up in the morning, he would make sure that we went for a walk. He would make sure that I ate breakfast. Um, and then one Friday after our walks, we went to a coffee shop and the barista said to me, so what are you going to do today? And in my head, I said, I'm going to kill myself.
0: Oh, wow. But I
1: was like, oh, just hang out. <laughs> and so I told my husband and I said to my husband, you'll never guess what I said to the barista. And so he's like, okay, I'm not going to work. He, Ironically, he was actually taking a two-day mental health first aid course for youth.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> um, but you, t- you, you told him what your answer was in your head?
1: I told him what the answer was in my head. And so he's like, okay, I'm going home with you. Yeah. And then I was like, don't be stupid. I'm not going to do that. So it was an entire week went by. And then we were in church the following Sunday. Something the pastor said triggered me. And I, because at this point now, I'm going to see a psychiatrist. And the past and whatever it said triggered me. And I said, I told you I shouldn't be going to see a psychiatrist. And my husband's like, Elaine, he wasn't talking to you. Yeah. It's like, okay. So then he had to leave to go to a soccer meeting because he was a soccer coach, football, mm-hmm. English football. <laughs> and um, so it was in that space of time, like a couple of hours, that I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I saw all the medication and I was like, I was like walking around the house, tears rolling down my eyes, mm. crying to the Lord, Lord, I can't believe it's come to this. I can't believe it's come to this. And um, and then I sat down and I wrote my letter. And my friend called who was in California. She would call on a regular basis. So something for people is like, you know, never give up, never give up keep calling, keep texting, Mm -hmm. even if the person doesn't respond, because at least they know that you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, I can't pick up the phone and tell her I'm about to kill myself. So I just let that go. And then I was like, okay, so where do I sit for my husband to find me dead?
0: Oh, goodness. and may <laughs> It's
1: like the weird, the things that go through your head. It's just, you, oh my well, goodness. You, you
0: said before, you know, we move the chess pieces. You know, we think that we're, mm-hmm. we think we're playing chess where you do want to be thinking two or three moves ahead rather than yes, uh, being in that moment. Let, let me ask quickly about your friend. Yeah. Your, your friend knew of your of your 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 brain struggles
1: she did she yeah. did so she was in california and i was living in charlotte north carolina at the time mm-hmm. and so apparently because we had a very small group of friends like five or six of us so again the importance of support yeah um, and she would be calling my friends and saying hey is anybody checking in on elaine and One of the girls, like, she was with me all the time. And um, I – actually, she called from – I remember her calling from California, and I'm laying on the sofa, and she said, just get up and, like, brush the floor. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't. And she's like, I'm going to call you back in 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and see if you brush the floor. So I'm like, okay. And I got up and brushed the floor.
0: Yeah.
1: But, and you know, at that point where I wanted to kill myself – And as I went around all the furniture checking to see what the best place would be for my husband to find me dead, (laughs) sounds weird saying that now. And people who have survived um, suicide attempts, what we say is you don't actually really want to die. You don't want to die, but you just don't know how to live anymore. Right. And the thing is, it's actually a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, once you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. (laughs) So... It's like, uh, <laughs> there's no coming back.
0: I think that this is an important opportunity for us to point out that uh, I, I think that there's this long ingrained narrative and I've, I've brought it up a number of times, uh, but it, it's always worth repeating that there's this long ingrained narrative that we need to have a plan that we need to, in order to be under duress. And it is, yes. it is such a toxic Narrative and a and a dangerous narrative, because for me, I mean, I could have come up with a plan on on a moment's notice. Uh, Absolutely. So I, I I appreciate that we're talking about that, so we can just keep disrupting that idea that you don't need to reach out for help until you've formed a, a, a true plan.
1: I didn't really have a plan until that moment. I didn't know like that's what I was really going to do. It kind of came through my mind a few times, but. Um, and so I was sitting on a chair that I thought was the best looking chair for my husband to find me. And um, as I was about to kill myself, I, my husband sent me a text and he said, on my way home.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> and that triggered something in my brain, right? So it like disrupted my brain, which meant that I was like, what am I doing? And I threw everything down and put everything away. My husband came home. My story is, my version is I was normal, and he would not say that. Um, and so the next day when I woke up, I told him, I said, listen, that's what I was going to do yesterday. That's what I tried to do, and I'm going to do it now. And I ran downstairs, and he ran after me, and he's called on the phone to my psychiatrist. I'm screaming. He called my friend. She came. And basically, I got taken to a behavioral health ER, and then I went to a, an acute care facility for 10 days. And then I went to outpatient for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And all the time now I'm being supervised taking my medication. And what people don't know is that the medication for mental health is, it takes like six to eight weeks to kick in. Right. So it's not like an ibuprofen where, you know, within four hours your headache's gone. Well, you know, Mental medication, if you—if if it was to help you in four hours, your brain would explode. <laughs> so, you know, I can understand why people say, oh, it's not working.
0: Right, right.
1: Because it doesn't feel like it's working at first. And it takes like a month to start working. And it actually takes like eight weeks. Obviously, it all depends on the person and the medication. Where if you're like, oh, because I literally had a light bulb moment of, oh, I feel well now. I'm ready to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And off I went back to work after um, getting clearance from my psychiatrist and psychologist. And God told me to be in mental health advocate and I told him no, <laughs> which is a whole other story. <laughs> Somebody tells me, who, uh, a friend of mine said, oh, so you had a Jonah moment. Like God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And he's like, and he's like, no. And so he ends up getting, going in a, a whale for three days. I just ended up going back to corporate America for six years and having another suicide attempt. So.
0: You were in the whale of corporate America for, 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 six, for years. six years. Wow. During those six years, did you did you ever go back to seeing a psychiatrist or a counselor? Or did you end up like, how long did you stick with the medication?
1: I still take medication.
0: But during those six years you continued. Yeah. Okay. I
1: still took my medication. What I did not do, which I would not recommend, is I stopped seeing my psychiatrist. I right. stopped seeing my psychologist because I was well.
0: Which as as we're as we know now, this the brain, we're right back to the brain, develops exactly. Can outgrow your medication.
1: Exactly. Yes. It can. And also it's not about medication fully. So I mean, it blows my mind when I see people who take diabetes medication, Mm -hmm. and then they're off to the Cheesecake Factory (laughs) and eating all crap. And it's like, well, I'm taking medication. Well, yeah, that's one piece of the puzzle. You still gotta like look after yourself and exercise and sleep well and have your vitamins. And
0: it's a lifestyle.
1: (laughs) It is. Mm -hmm. Medication is not the answer can be part of the answer but it's not it's it's
0: it's one piece of the pie i hate to go back to the cheesecake factory analogy but uh... (laughs) it
1: is it literally is so yeah so it i was in corporate america for six years and then suicide attempt number two was in september 20 on september 24th
0: 2020
1: okay and that's when again I felt like I was in a place where I lost control Mm -hmm. because I know it's not like this for you Chris because you're a guy but for women we like to be in control (laughs) (laughs) and so I lost all control of like what I was doing and where I was living and speaking
0: of control and speaking of you know uh, gender roles uh Mm -hmm. you know i've chatted with a couple of guests guests about eating disorders and something that was really enlightening to me is this concept of control so Mm -hmm. when we arrive in september 2020 and everything else feels like it's completely out of control your brain says well here's one thing that i can control
1: absolutely yes and i i mean i had i was not working anymore so, I quit my job because I was stressed out and we'd moved house. So, I had like some of the big triggers anyway that for any normal, whatever normal is, person had to deal with. I was now spiraling down again. And I actually said to my therapist last year, I feel like God just ripped everything from underneath me, like a Job the moment. And She's like, oh, he hit you with a two-by-four. I said, kind of, (laughs) yeah. Not a lot of people would understand that. But, yeah, he literally, like, had to get my attention. And so this time, I, I again, was isolating myself. I even knew what I was doing. I was, like, trying to talk myself out of it. But I couldn't Mm because my brain now is so messed up because of the way I've been thinking and um, dealing with my body. And so I... I I just remember September 24th, 2020, I got a piece of mail. It was something to do with finances. I thought, you know, we have lost everything. I thought we'd lost everything. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be living under a bridge. I'm going to get eaten alive by ravens. (laughs) It's like that catastrophizing thinking. Yeah, yeah. And so I literally looked at my dog and I said, okay, Kiara, like sod it let's just do this oh, and so I tried I took like a whole pile of pills and I then texted my husband and said oh my goodness I just did this but it's okay I'm fine don't come home from work wow. <laughs> and then I texted my friend who is a doctor and it's like I just did this but I'm okay and I laid on the sofa with my dog, and it's like, okay, come on, Kiara, let's see how long it's going to take me to die. Crazy thinking. And the next minute, my friends on the phone and threatening for the like to call nine one one. I'm like, please don't do that. I've got no health insurance. It's going to cost a fortune. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and so my husband came, and we walked into the ER, mm-hmm. and. I was in the ER for three days. Mm-hmm. Just the regular ER now, not a behavioral health. And they actually Baker acted me. And my psychiatrist was on call. And so when he came to speak to me, he's like, Elaine, what are you doing? I was like, I know, Dr. Onson, I'm stupid. He's like, no, you're not stupid. It's a disease, you know. And so I was like, please, I can't be Baker acted because I'm a green card holder. I'm not a citizen. I'm going to be thrown out the country. And he's like. I don't think so, <laughs> because you be been Baker-acted. I'm like, yes, I am. So he actually redacted the Baker Act. He was like, okay. So when my husband came to pick me up uh, on day three, I thought I was going home. And I was so excited to be going home. And he's like, uh, no, you're not going home. He said, the doctor redacted your Baker Act on the condition that you got help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which meant then... This time I was in a residential facility for 75 days. I was there for Thanksgiving of 2022, 20, sorry, 2020. And I was released from full-time care. I think it might have even been Christmas Eve. And then I was in day treatment for six weeks. So actually this time last year, I was in day treatment, my daughter and her husband would drive me to the facility I'd go to all my classes and then I my husband would pick me up and bring me home and I'm still in a place of what am I doing I can't do anything and um I mean it was like I literally was like I'm gonna be a, a long distance truck driver. I know how to do that. I can drive a truck so
0: <laughs> i I am so grateful for your bravery in that you share this story. We're rapidly approaching the part where the part that I that I truly love and that's mm-hmm. and that's where Jonah says okay i'm I'm listening now mm-hmm. when does that? Mm. When does that occur? Was it a process or was there a light bulb moment for you?
1: It was a process and the process was I I you know in like 2015 after my first attempt God had said mental health advocacy and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to live in shame, but I'm st- I'm not going to raise a flag. And in 20 20 i actually graduated as and certified as a mental health first aid instructor ironically (laughs) and i was also i became a certified coach and so in 2021 at the beginning of 2021 i was like thinking what can i do what Mm -hmm. can i do what can Mm -hmm. elaine do um and so i was like you know as a consultant i used to always get lift for rides in the cities i'll be a lift driver and so I became a lift driver and then I could write 10 books on being a lift driver. <laughs> and so one time I actually got into an accident, but it was nothing. It was minor, but it took me out of commission with my car for a month. So Lyft wouldn't let me use my car, even though it was not really damaged. And so that was basically God saying, stop it. Mm-hmm. And then the next time, then I got a notice to say, hey, if you do so many rides this week, then you'll get this amount of money. I was like, perfect, I'm gonna do this. I'll do all those rides, 30 rides by Wednesday. I'll spend time on my business Thursday, Friday. And so I did all my rides by Wednesday. And then on the Friday morning, my son-in-law was going to a conference. So I drove him to the airport and I was like, it's seven o'clock in the morning. People will want to go to work. I know I'll put my lift on. And in my soul, in my spirit, I'm like, don't. But I'm like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. So I lift my last ride of the day, which was like at 8 30 in the morning, was a young gentleman who wanted to get a 9 30 flight. I was like, mm-hmm. you're not going to make it. <laughs> I said, I used to like be that person who would be the last person on the plane. Yeah. I tell you, you're not going to make it. He's like, please, please, please. I was like, okay. Drove, got (laughs) on the interstate. Give it a
0: college try. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we drove, got on the interstate, and next minute I hit something. And I'm like, it blew out my tire. So I got to the side of the road. He went and got another lift. The road ranger came and fixed my car, fixed my wheel. And I was like, oh my goodness, what did I hit? He said, you hit a two by four. Ah! No. I said, you have got, I just looked at him and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. I said, seriously. And he's like, yeah. yeah. And remember that's what my therapist just said. God was
0: like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to drop this here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's literally like got hit by a two, a two by four and I hit a two by four. So that oh was like gosh. the process where in April of last year, I literally sat and just in my bedroom office and said, Lord. Okay. I have no idea what this is going to look like. I don't know where the money is going to come from. All I know is this is what you've called me to do. And so here I am today talking to you because it has been quite the journey in the last eight months or so. And I love it.
0: I mean, tell me about it. We've already talked about, you know, the experience with students. I know you're putting on a show this fall.
1: I am.
0: <laughs> Tell me about what's happening there. Is that uh, in September?
1: Did I see? It's in September. The Real English Elaine website is going to be going away probably in the summer. And the Rest and Renew website is coming out in March. So Rest and Renew is my nonprofit and for-profit. And so Rest and Renew, we're, we're having the first annual Rest and Renew Speaks Out. During Suicide Prevention Month, which is September. And September 24th is actually the anniversary of my second and final suicide attempt. Yeah. And so, September 24th, I'm actually going to have individuals who are 18 plus sharing their stories, what it's like to live with a mental condition. The aim of the show is to educate. So I will actually start off by doing a small piece on helping the audience understand the difference and the importance of the balance between the brain, the mind, the social and spiritual aspects of the whole person. They will be engaged. So it'll be real stories by real people living with and also people who are supporting people living with a mental condition so, or a mental struggle. So family members and friends. Don't have to be of the people who are sharing the stories, but what it's like to live with those people.
0: Absolutely.
1: And then they will be entertained. So I'm actually going to end the show with just a production show, something like fun, entertaining, singers, whatever. We haven't. So the show is actually going to be brought to us by KD Unique, Produ- Unique Entertainment. And so I already have the theatre. So the guy who owns the theatre is donating it. I don't have to pay anything. I said what about the proceeds? He's like you can have it all.
0: Oh, wow.
1: All the the proceeds from that show are going to the Rest and Renew Foundation and the really like the mission the, the vision of Rest and Renew is to change the conversation and the stigma. The Rest and Renew Foundation's mission is to create it's multi-phased and it's to create a ranch. And phase one is to create a ranch where women with diagnosed mental illness can receive whole person healing. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I had to go to a facility to get treatment. People going to the ranch are going to be able to say, oh, I'm going to the ranch for some R&R.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very different. Much like more accessible. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so I want it to be like the vision is it's going to be a green facility with solar and all that kind of stuff. And there's going to be horses and a swimming pool and right nutrition and to give skills so that life skills. and yep. And in a way where, you know, because I know some facilities where you pay a lot of money and you get a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And a lot of superfood and everything. And then you go back into the real world and you're like,
0: uh, yeah, what <laughs> can now? I go back
1: to that? Can I go back to that place? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so to do it real, so to be real, right. Real in terms of the experience and the expectations.
0: Well, sh- shortly here, when you make the transition, <laughs> like literally in terms of the website, do me a favor and, and nudge me with a two by four. So that I can, <laughs>
1: I don't know if I want to give you a two <laughs> by four but I maybe, will let you <laughs> maybe a stick,
0: so that I okay, can, so I can update the information like in in Absolutely. the details for the episode. So that, but in the meantime, people should go to therealenglishelaine.com, dot mm-hmm. get to know you, order the first book. There's another one coming. There teasers is. galore on mm-hmm. what you're doing, but mm-hmm. it's amazing work that you're doing. And thank you.
1: Can I mention one more thing? Absolutely not. Just one more thing. Nope. I will anyway. <laughs> Um, so September 24th is adult sharing their stories. Mm-hmm. September 25th is youth sharing their stories. Oh, cool. So I'm going to have, I already have a couple of youth who've agreed to share their stories because I think it's important for youth to hear from youth and of not course. to hear from like a therapist or a psychiatrist. Yeah. And so I'm also working on to get some like key people who will be able to talk to youth as well.
0: It's amazing. All right. Well, this has been so much fun and thank you keep up the amazing yes. work and and we'll we'll stay in touch we'll keep uh reinforcing each other right
1: absolutely and i can't wait to hear more about what you're doing as well and maybe in the future when i have my own show you can come and be a guest
0: that would be <laughs> an absolute pleasure i'll look forward to it all right thanks Chris. take care of yourself we'll
1: talk soon take care, take care. bye
0: All right, gang, don't stay stuck. If a relationship, if a job, if something in your life isn't serving you, it might be time to take an evaluation and make a change. All right, I am so grateful to Elaine Sefton, the Real English Elaine, for joining me in this episode. I'm so grateful to having all of you here as well. Until we catch back up, just remember, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space, right here, we are always coming together. Love you, folks, and we'll catch you soon. Peace. We out.